If you would, go ahead and take out your Bibles with me this morning. I want to ask, if you would, that you would open them up to the book of Proverbs. uh, Proverbs chapter 24. uh, Proverbs 24. While you are turning there, allow me to say a few words about that activity which takes up one-third of your life. Uh, In general, you spend one-third of your life sleeping. Isn't that strange? Uh, Sleep is a very important part of our lives. Many of us are freshly aware of that after an extra hour last night. Uh, Scientists tell us all the time just how vital sleep is to truly good health. Uh, According to one Harvard article... Uh, Sleep affects our ability to learn. Sleep affects our ability to remember. Uh, Studies show that people who have slept after learning a task did better on tests than those who did not. Uh, Lack of sleep often results in a slower metabolism, uh, greater weight gain. Lack of sleep often results in irritability, moodiness, an inability to concentrate, your stress level goes up, your heartbeat can become irregular, your immune system suffers. In other words, it is very obvious that God created human beings to need sleep. And like all of life, we as Christians view sleep from a biblical perspective, or at least that's our desire. What does the Bible teach us about this? It teaches us that sleep is a gift from God to humble us and to teach us faith in Him. Uh, Fred Sanders puts it this way. He says, at the very least, sleep is a good opportunity to entrust yourself, your entire self, to God's care. You're trusting something When you lay down your body and with it the control of your conscious mind, that moment when you consciously choose unconsciousness and let yourself go is a daily opportunity to relinquish control to a God whom you have to trust. This is a theme that we see throughout the scriptures, that sleep teaches us our dependence upon God. Psalm 4, 8, in peace, I will both lie down and I will sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Uh, David is able to have peaceful sleep even when people are out to kill him because he has trust in his God. Or Psalm 121, 4, behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. That is, the God we trust in is a God who never sleeps. He is dependent upon nothing. Our God never needs to be renewed, refreshed, recharged. And He is our constant protector, guardian as we sleep. Psalm 127, 1 and 2, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. 
for he gives to his beloved sleep. You see, God created us as human beings to work and to have dominion over this world, but he also created us ultimately to trust him and to take refuge in his sovereign love and to rest. He is God and we are not. And at the end of the day, we give ourselves up into dependence upon him. We can also say from Scripture that sleep is an enjoyable gift. Rest is a good thing. Uh, Indeed, when we are truly experiencing a deep, peaceful sleep, we are perhaps closer to the kind of inner peace and rest we will know in heaven than at any other time in our lives. Uh, Every moment we're awake in this world, we're having to battle the flesh, battle the devil, battle the world itself. Every moment we're awake in this life, we have obstacles and trials and temptations. And our work that God has given us in this world, while we're grateful for it, it can be hard. But there is coming a day when we will know true rest. As we will walk the new heavens and the new earth, we will find that work is no longer difficult, but always enjoyable and invigorating to us. We will find that being awake is no longer a battle against temptation and sin. And the new heavens and the new earth, we will be awake and yet we will know very deep rest. Sleep is the closest we come to that in this life. Um, Last week we talked about lust. Uh, Then on Sunday night we talked about gluttony. Well, like sexual intimacy, like food, sleep is one of God's many good gifts that points us to heaven and to his goodness. In fact, the Bible teaches us that sleep is a wonderful gift because it prepares us to die well. Uh, sleeping is preparation for death. It's, it's practice for death. Uh, Psalm 13.3 speaks of death as a kind of sleep. And in the New Testament, when Christians have died, the Christians are referred to as being asleep first thessalonians 4 13 but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope paul is referring there to christians who have died but he says that they are asleep why because they're going to get up again one day so every night when we close our eyes and we entrust ourselves to god and you We are preparing ourselves for the day when we will close our eyes in death. And we are learning that when that day comes, we can entrust ourselves to a good God and not fear death. So Mount Hermon, sleep is a wonderful thing. Rest is a wonderful thing. But like all of God's gifts, it can be abused. And ever since the fall, the tendency of man has been to abuse and distort and misuse this gift of rest and sleep. Some, in their pride, neglect sleep. That's exactly what Psalm 127, 1 through 2 was addressing. Uh, To neglect sleep doesn't mean you're a hard worker. It usually means you're arrogant. That is, it usually means you're forgetting that you're a creature and that you're not God and that you need sleep. 
I've heard people pride themselves in only sleeping three or four hours a night. That's unhealthy and it's foolish. And and the Bible does not speak well about that. We need to humble ourselves and receive the gift of sleep. On the other hand, and probably far more often, our tendency is to rest when we shouldn't. That is, our tendency may be towards sleeping too much, or our tendency may be towards laziness and the sin that we are particularly addressing this morning, the sin of sloth. You see, we're continuing in our series of sermons focused on putting Romans 8.13 into practice. Uh, Let me just remind you, Romans 8.13 says, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so we've talked about this. The stakes are high. Heaven and hell are at stake here. We are not Christians by defeating sin, but if we are true Christians, we will be working to defeat sin. And how do we do that? By the Spirit. And we've seen that this means that we're going to attack every sin in our lives through prayer, through faith in the promises of Christ, and through the Word. This is how we have the Spirit's power in our fight against every sin. Prayer, faith, the Word. Now, we've talked about what this looks like against pride, against avarice, against lust, against gluttony. Let's take the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and see what it can teach us about defeating this sin of sloth. So we're going to follow our typical outline we've used over the last couple of weeks. I want to begin by reading Proverbs 24 and verse 30. Proverbs 24, beginning in verse 30. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked, (coughs) excuse me, I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So what are we talking about when we speak of this sin of sloth? Well, on one level, we're talking about inactivity. That is, we're speaking of a person who isn't acting when he ought to be. Uh, This is a person who doesn't work when he ought to be working. There are obligations upon a person, but the person refuses to put in the time and the energy required to fulfill those obligations. On a deeper level, what we're talking about here is apathy. A person who doesn't care about what needs to be done, he simply isn't interested enough to put in the time and the energy that is required. And then on an even deeper level, We're speaking here about an inordinate love for being at rest, for being at ease. Being slothful means that you are enjoying rest beyond what is proper. You are averse to activity because activity disrupts your ease. It disrupts your rest. 
And that is what I'm trying to draw our attention to this morning, the inordinate love of being at rest or at ease. Now, sloth can appear in various forms. Uh, There's physical slothfulness. Uh, This is when you refuse to get up and work with your body when you know that you should. There is also intellectual slothfulness. This is when a person chooses laziness rather than taking the time to think through something or to learn something or to wrestle with something in the mind. There is also spiritual slothfulness. Uh, Spiritual slothfulness can be seen in the unbeliever who knows that he isn't right with God but doesn't care enough to put in the time and the energy and the thought to do something about it. Spiritual slothfulness is also seen in Christians who become apathetic and who refuse to follow hard after Christ. Those who uh, don't pursue holiness or go to God in prayer. In every case, the person feels too comfortable in his ease or her ease, and that is sloth. Now, if that's sloth defined, let's look at sloth described. And the Bible has much to say about the vileness of this particular sin. Let me give you just some of the highlights. Uh, First, and this is repeated throughout the Bible, sloth brings a person to poverty. Sloth brings a person to poverty. Uh, That's certainly the message of the passage we just read from Proverbs 24. Poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Those who don't sow, don't get to reap. Uh, Those who don't put in the work, don't get to enjoy the harvest. Uh, Slothfulness, inactivity, it bears no fruit. Proverbs 10.4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs 13.8, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Proverbs 20, verse 4, the sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Proverbs 20.13, love not sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. So sloth brings a person to poverty. Second, sloth makes an idol of rest and ease. It makes an idol of rest and ease. Our hearts, as Calvin said, are idol-making factories. We can turn anything into an idol. We can, we can turn anything in this world into something that we love disproportionately to how we ought. We can love anything in this world inordinately. And certainly we can do that with rest and ease. You see, God gave to us the charge to work. And he gave to us the charge to rest. And we're to experience both. And we're to find joy and fulfillment in doing both. But neither of these is to be the true love of our lives. None of these is to compete with God for our hearts. God is to be our highest joy. So that we are willing to sacrifice either in work or in sleep for His glory. In God and in His love we are to find our satisfaction. We are to find joy in work, but we're to find joy in work as we do what God has called us to do in such a way that it brings honor to Him. Uh, 
We are God's image bearers. And just as God has dominion over the universe. So you're to imitate him and having dominion over that little part of this world that God has entrusted to you. Whether it's cleaning the house, delivering pizzas, visiting the sick, working in an office, teaching others. Whatever callings God has placed on your life, and there's more than one, you have multiple callings in your life. Whatever callings God has given you, you're to pursue them and fulfill them with joy for the glory of God. But the callings are not your highest love. God is your highest love, and in the joy of his love for you and your love for him, you fulfill your callings. Then, having worked hard, you enjoy the gift of rest. But just as we're to work in a God-centered way, we should rest in a God-centered way. We should rest with gratitude in our hearts towards God for the opportunity to rest. And we should always take time to note how these moments of rest point us towards heaven. When we climb into bed at night, it should be with a heart that is longing for the day when we will pass through death into the very presence of God and no true rest forever. Dear friends, sloth takes this wonderful gift of rest and begins to treasure it more than God himself. Sloth values rest and ease more than God and his commands. Sloth is once again allowing our flesh to call the shots rather than God. God says to work hard and to do all things in the name of Jesus Christ. Our flesh says, you saw it in the verse, a little more sleep, a little slumber, a little more folding of the hands to rest. The language there is seductive. Just a few minutes more. You deserve to rest a little while longer. And yet the more you give in to your flesh, the more it will lead you into a slavery to sloth. You see, not only does sloth make an idol of rest and ease, but third, it also enslaves you to the will of your flesh. It enslaves you to the will of your flesh. The more you give in to this desire for more rest, more ease, the harder it gets to fight it. Laziness is a real addiction that can be difficult to overcome. Proverbs 6, 9. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? This is the nature of laziness. It drags us further and further down into its clutches, until we become like the man who doesn't even have the strength to feed himself. Listen to Proverbs 19.24. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. That's where laziness takes you, into greater and greater sloth. So Mount Hermon, beware laziness. It will pull you into its patterns and it will make it difficult for you to pull out. It's alluring, right? Like the, like the Venus flytrap that attracts bugs and then suddenly clamps down upon them. And the life of the bug drains away as the bug can't get out of the plant's clutches. Laziness is like that. It's not some easy, docile thing. Laziness will work violence against your soul. And dear church, laziness can lead you away from the Lord Jesus Christ. 
When one becomes lazy or idle in one area of life, it begins to affect the others. You may be a hard worker in your profession, but a lazy bones when it comes to other aspects of life. Sooner or later, the one is going to affect the other. The more we fail to accomplish what we ought in certain areas, the more problems are going to arise that affect every aspect of our lives. In fact, this is the deceit of laziness. Laziness says, come enjoy me. Have rest from your work. But usually laziness leads to more work needing to be done later and now with greater pressure and more frustration. Uh, laziness is counterproductive it says come enjoy me and experience ease but it doesn't actually make your life easier it makes it harder proverbs fifteen nineteen: the way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns but the path of the upright is a level highway laziness may be enticing but in the end it will make everything you do more difficult fourth Sloth robs God and, I'm sorry, sloth robs God and us of our usefulness to Him. Sloth robs God and us of our usefulness to Him. Let me remind you again that if you're here and you're a Christian, you have been bought with a price and you are not your own. And this means that if you are wasting your life away in laziness, you are wasting a life away that belongs to Jesus. You are wasting away a life that was purchased at the cross. You are wasting away a life that is not your own to waste. You are wasting away the talents and the abilities and the gifts that God has given you. Is that you? Is that someone in this room? On the last day, don't you want to hear your Savior say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Do you remember what happened to that servant that did not use, invest what his master had given to him? It ought to make us tremble. If any of you thinks we're talking about a small sin this morning, hear these words of Jesus. This is in his parable, Matthew 25, beginning in verse 26. His master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested the money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him. Give it to the one who has ten. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, the slothful servant, the servant that didn't use what his or her master had given him for the master, that servant is disowned. That servant is revealed not to be a true servant at all. He is cast into the fire. Friends, if you belong to Jesus Christ, it will be evident by the life you live on His behalf. If you are not spending yourself, your time, your energy, your thoughts, your emotions, your life for Christ's sake in this world, you will eventually be shown not to be one of His. 
Don't let slothfulness conquer you. You kill it. That's what Romans 8.13 says. Says, right? By the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body. Proverbs 12.27 Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. The diligent in this world, generally speaking, acquire wealth. Wealth that can be invested in the kingdom. Wealth that can be used to care for one's family, to, to care for the poor, to support the cause of missions. Christians who are slothful rather than diligent rob the kingdom of all that could be invested for Christ's sake. There are people in this world who need help. You and I are in a position through our work to gain the means that they need to help. And our slothfulness robs them of the help that they need. Bodies that could be fed and souls that could be ministered to. Fifth and finally, sloth leads to other sins. Uh, One example, if you're not willing to work for your food because you're lazy, how are you going to get it? Well, for some who had been converted in the city of Ephesus, it appears that they, before they had come to Christ, had gotten their food by taking it from others. And so in Ephesians 4.28, Paul had to teach them, and he said, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Or Proverbs 26, 16, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. You see, though a sluggard is a fool, there is something in the sluggard that makes one prideful. Sloth feeds pride so that you will have people who love you speaking into your life crying out like the man earlier get up get up you have work to be done God has given you callings invest yourself and you'll have people speaking into your life but your sloth has so hardened your heart that you will not hear you will not be able to see what those loved ones are saying to you you will be enticed and trapped by your sloth slothfulness if you let it fester in your life will harden your heart so that even the admonishments of your family and your brothers and sisters in Christ, even the preaching from this pulpit, will not be able to break through to get you moving for Christ's sake again. Church, do you see the vileness of this sin? Maybe you came in here this morning thinking, what a silly subject to talk about. Sloth's no big deal. From God's perspective, it's a very big deal. And how much more could have already been done for the salvation of souls in this world had the sin of sloth not robbed the church of so much? Let's not let it rob us. Heading number three, we'll do this quickly. You know these points, but I want to say them again. How does Christ make all the difference? Number one, Christ set the example for us. John 5 17 Jesus answered them my father is working until now and I am also working you see even though Jesus knew what it was to be tempted to excessive rest excessive ease he remained a man of faithful hard work his whole life he never stopped giving himself to what God had called him to do his highest passion was to do the will of his father in heaven 
He was driven by this, this higher love, this higher delight. He was not self-centered. He was not flesh-centered. He was God-centered. And so he had this inner drive. Get up, get up, work. I have joy in doing the will of my Father. I bet he learned that in a carpenter shop as a boy. We do not have a Savior we do not have a savior who is unable to sympathize with you and your weaknesses. He was tempted in every way just as you are. If slothfulness is something that you really struggle with, Jesus is tender towards you. He understands the temptation. Read the gospels, learn from his example. Number 2. Christ on the cross took the punishment that sinners deserve. Christ on the cross took the punishment that sinners deserve. So many sins were were punished on the cross. The wrath of God was poured out upon Christ for so many sins. But the sin of sloth in your life was punished at the cross if you're a Christian. Christ took the hell that you deserve for your sins of sloth. So if this is you that I'm describing this morning, don't leave here paralyzed. Don't leave here um, trapped in your guilt and your shame thinking, oh, I need to live in depression and despair because of what I've heard this morning. If you trust Christ, you are forgiven. Every moment of sloth in your life is forgiven. What do we read? As far as the east from the west, as high as the heavens, so is the Father's love towards you. If you have trusted Christ, this sin is forgiven. Number three, not only that, but Christ has promised you a day when you will be perfectly holy. Christ has promised you a day when you will be perfectly holy. You will not always battle with laziness. You will not always battle with slothfulness. Or if you're the other person, the one who's always overworking, right? You have to battle love of work and never sleeping. Well, if that's your sin, there's coming a day when you won't have to battle that anymore either. You will be made holy by the Spirit. He's doing it even now if you're a Christian. Number four. Christ by the Spirit is making you holy now. Christ by the Spirit is making you holy now, which means this is not Pastor Justin coming to you and saying, you have to defeat this sin on your own. Rather, this is Pastor Justin coming to you with the authority of the Word of God as a representative of your Lord and Savior, saying to you, the Holy Spirit is already killing this sin in your life. Just don't resist Him. Don't make it harder. Join with Him. Walk with the Spirit in this endeavor. And then fifth, Christ by His Spirit through His Word causes us to know His love for us. Causes us to know His love for us. So we do not, we do not, we do not, we do not, we do not fight any sin seeking to make things right with God. We have already been made right with God through Jesus. He is our righteousness and we are loved. We are loved beyond our comprehension. So we fight these battles not out of guilt seeking to make things right with God but out of joy knowing that as guilty as we are, we are loved. 
We understand that, church. This is what it means to kill sin by the power of the Spirit. The Spirit causes you to know in your mind and in your heart that you are loved, and in the joy of that forgiveness and love, you're able to defeat sin because you have a superior satisfaction in Christ. Why do I say this in every sermon? Because it may be that there are unbelievers here. And I want to say to every unbeliever in this room, come to Christ. Your only hope of defeating this sin and any other sin in your life is to have the power of Christ in your soul, to have the Spirit at work within you. If you're here and you're an unbeliever, you have two big problems. One is that you are a slave to your sins, and the second is that you are guilty before God for the sins you've committed. Jesus lived a perfect life and went to the cross so that your guilt before God could be removed. And when you trust Jesus, the power of sin over your life is broken and he gives you what you need to start making real headway in defeating sin. And he promises you a day when you will be perfectly clean. Church, don't we long for the day when we will be perfectly clean through and through. It's a gift only given through Jesus Christ. Trust him. Boys and girls in this room, trust him. All right, finally and very quickly, fourth heading. All right, if the Spirit's at work in us, defeating the sin, how do we walk with the Spirit? How do we join with the Spirit in killing this sin? We've already seen from Romans 8, 13 that the Spirit loves to use that chief means of grace, the Word of God, What does the word of God tell us about defeating this sin? Three points. Number one, cultivate the virtue of hard work in your life. Cultivate the virtue of hard work in your life. If you want to root a sin out of your life, you cultivate its opposite. The opposite of laziness and sloth is striving for excellence in every calling that God has given you. Not becoming a workaholic. By the way, Workaholics are actually usually slothful people. You know why that's true? Because a workaholic usually means they're working really, really hard over here while all these other areas of life that God has called them to work in is being neglected. Usually a workaholic is giving all of their time and energy to one kind of work while the spiritual work that God has called them to do in their family, the work that God has called them to do in their church, the work that God has called them to do in their it's all being neglected. A workaholic is usually just a slothful person devoting all of their time and energy to one thing. Okay, that said, cultivate the virtue of hard work in your life, in every area that God has given you. Balance it out, but don't be a lazy person. Cultivate hard work. By the way, I quoted a lot of Proverbs this morning about how laziness leads to poverty. But did you hear how many of them, the second half, talked about how diligence leads to to wealth or to prosperity. Right? Now this doesn't necessarily mean money. It can mean that. We shouldn't be surprised when working hard leads to God's blessing. But there are good things that happen in our lives when we are diligent and work hard. In Second Thessalonians 3.10, Paul says something that might sound a bit harsh. Okay? It may sound a bit harsh. But Paul was dealing with people in the church of Thessalonica who were really struggling with this sin of slothfulness and laziness. And here's what he said. He said, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. If that person is capable of working but refuses to, 
He said, don't give him charity because if you're doing so, you're feeding his comfort and ease and it is not love to help foster somebody's laziness. So friends, we need to be people of hard work. We need to hang around people of hard work. We need to be people who know what it is to have a deep satisfaction of accomplishing something for Christ's sake. Do you know the joy of doing something well for Christ's sake? Right? Boy, it's a wonderful feeling. We ought to know it very well. Big or small, whatever the callings are that God has given you, it doesn't matter. Learn to work hard at them. Number two, love obedience to Jesus. Join the Spirit in killing sloth in your life by loving obedience to Jesus. You see, slothfulness has this sense of apathy to it. I just don't care. I just, I just don't care. But as Christians, we are to love Christ. And because we love Christ, and we know He loves us, and we know He's wise, and we know He's good, we're to love doing what He calls us to do. We're to care deeply about doing the things that Christ has given us to do. We are to love obedience to Jesus. We ought to trust our Good Shepherd and find enjoyment in submitting our wills to His will and doing the things He calls us to do. Don't be apathetic towards Christ's commands. Love Christ's commands. Value them as better than gold. Be like the the blessed man of Psalm 1 that we sang about this morning. Then loving the commands of Christ, obey them and find more joy in doing Christ's will than in being in comfort and at ease in your bed or on your couch at home. Find more joy in wearing yourself out for the glory of Christ than in being at ease on your bed or your couch at home. Number three, and finally, see the connection between hard work and sweet rest. See the connection between hard work and sweet rest. Ecclesiastes 5.12 makes it plain. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer. If you work hard, you will actually find better rest than is known by the slothful or lazy person. God knows what he's talking about. Ultimately, church, let us trust our Savior and his word and let us submit our wills to doing what Christ has called us to do. That's where we will find true joy and yes, even true rest for our souls. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.